Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way. And that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Everyone, welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast. We are so excited to have you. We have some very special guests today. We have Liz Costner and Krista Vitola. They're joining us from Simon & Schuster, and they are here in the Academy offices. We have covered the table and cheese and snacks and crackers and wine, and we're very happy to be with you. Mm. So. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Our pleasure. Thank yeah, you welcome. so much for having us. So how did you guys get started in publishing? Um, I guess I first had the inkling of doing publishing, <laughs> doing publishing, <laughs> joining publishing. When I was still in college, I actually, um, it's kind of a funny story in that someone else in publishing who is an editor at HarperCollins overlapped with me um, by just a year at the University of Chicago, and he interviewed me to become a tour guide my freshman year when he was a senior. And we really hit it off, and by the end of the year, I'd seen him and asked him the most annoying question to ask any senior in high school, and that's, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I just got a job to be a children's book editor um, in New York for Penguin. And, <laughs> and honestly, it was one of those moments where it was like, oh, that exists, that sounds cool great, I want to do that. And ever since then, I found internships and other opportunities that got me here. Um, I had no idea what book publishing was. Um, I really wanted to be a magazine writer. Um, I wanted to write a column like Carrie Bradshaw in Sex and the City um, and be her in every way possible. But um, I used to write film reviews when I was in high school um, and also in college. And so I um, interned at uh, Premier Magazine, which was like the B-list Entertainment Weekly. Ooh. Yeah, um, it was um, less than stellar, Aww. and yeah, uh, but it's okay. It was a great. It was a good experience because it let me know that this was not the path that I wanted to lead. Um, and then, coincidentally, Liz and I have both worked for the Book Report Network, um, but I interned there. Um, and Carol Fitzgerald was great, and she kind of brought me under her wing, and I went to all of her presentations and um, helped her out, and I started doing reviews for children's books, um, and I kind of uncovered the world of children's books um, and loved it, and then started applying everywhere. I love how you got, it, it almost feels like, you know, like we all live in one world, and you guys make it sound like, oh, you just show up in the publishing world and someone <laughs> opens the door for you and then you're there it's like Oz I don't know it sounds amazing well I mean it, I feel like finding a mentor in any facet of publishing is really important when I realized that this is something I wanted to pursue I sat down I played volleyball in college and one of the assistant coaches and I were really close and so she was basically like that's great you want to be in children's publishing but how are you going to do it you need to find an internship and luckily I went to school in Chicago and Albert Whitman and Company um, is actually run out of the suburb I grew up in in Chicago so I managed to apply and somehow wow them with my interest in children's publishing and playing volleyball because uh, the publisher at the time her daughter had played volleyball and it's always those kind of weird kismet commonalities and relationships that get you in 
And that also started a lot of things for me too in that I really got along with the publisher. Um, I treated her like she was Miranda Priestly, and that worked really well. <laughs> that usually works well. Yeah, and um, terrifying, terrified of her mostly. I was paid to continue through the summer, and she recommended me for tons of stuff. And also, coincidentally, one of the ways that I actually got my Simon & Schuster gig is that an editor who was there at the time worked at Albert Whitman and Company while I was interning there and recommended me like crazy to get my entry-level job. So like, it's easy to kind of be like, this is the inciting moment that I knew I was going to go in publishing, but really relationships take you really far, like what Krista said about Carol. Yeah, and in addition to working for Carol, I also worked for a literary agency. I wrote reviews for them and read books for their international clients. Oh, cool. um, so I kind of had like three publishing internships under my belt, and which was really, really helpful. Um, when applying for positions. And also similarly, when I was at the Book Report Network, I made a big effort to write reviews and also reach out to the editors who worked on those books, not just interviewing the authors, but really talking to the editors. And it has turned out my favorite book I had read that year of working at this review site was edited by my current boss's best friend. That's yeah, crazy. it's also just a really small a industry. <laughs> you, like you come to find that like it's publishing small. Yeah. <laughs> Do you also have a moment of kismet or people happening to know each other that made things work out? For me, entering publishing, you know, I don't. Um, I think I just got really lucky because I did enter publishing in 08. Mm. Um, and it was really hard to find a job. Um, so, oh, I guess, so Wendy Loja, my former boss at Delacorte, um, while working at um, Book Report, I did um, an extensive review on the Sisterhood because it was like they were repackaging all of the books, and oh, the it was pants, right? uh, yeah, the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, and this um, and those were a series of books that Wendy worked on. So we kind of gushed over Sisterhood, um, and that kind of I feel like really put a spark and a good yeah a good start to our relationship. But even getting the SNS job, it was through people that you knew who really got along with each other. Yes, that's true. So I joined SNS a little over two years ago. Um, and yes, former colleagues of mine at Random House were good friends with my now current boss. And they kind of like, this is, would be a great thing for you. And I, so I reached out and yeah, so it is. It's all about um, the people you know. And I feel like we look out for one another. So we always try to match people up with the right, the right places. I think it's also interesting to note that we're still kind of feeling after effects of 2008. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're, we were all a little bit terrified with like every day there'd be news of like, oh yeah, people got off the elevator and they were handing out pink slips. Like, you know, I think we're all still a little bit afraid. Do you remember? You're making a face. <laughs> so to date myself and how young I am, I was still in college um, when that happened. But I mean... To say, definitely I feel like with the BuzzFeed layoffs recently and the Vice layoffs and everything in the other side of media that, Krista, you did not join, I feel like we're feeling that reverberation again, but because it's happening again. <laughs> yeah. I, the really nice, I feel like, part about children's books, though, is that it's been more steady than, steadier than, um, the adult group, I feel like when I joined in 08, I was, so many people were laid off and they were condensing imprints and it, it was really scary. Um, and then there was the whole rise of um, ebooks and that pub, the print printed publishing is going down and we're never, we're not going to have jobs anymore because the Kindle's going to take over everything and um, people are going to self-publish and we're over. But 
Um, I feel like it does. There are waves of all of these um, things that come and go, and print print remains strong. Also, for for kids, people don't really want to read off a Kindle to read a bedtime story. No, they don't. And I feel like the the online and the e part of it has really enhanced assets for us over taking the physical book away. I also just want to emphasize the inherent privilege of everyone assuming ebooks and children's would take off because you have to have a digital device. You have to have internet. You have to have an iPad. You have to have a Kindle. You have to have a computer and access to those things enough to read a full book if you're talking about a novel. You know, like libraries don't, I mean, they may lease out some iPads, but I mean, not enough to, the, the line to wait for an ebook for me, who has several devices, is still really long. And libraries can have printed books where you don't have to have an additional thing too. So in children's, I feel like kid, kids are always going to get them as gifts, right? Like they're going to want to be screenless for some sort of medical reason. And yeah, it makes sense to just read a printed material. And reading children's books is such a group activity. It's something that you, it's so much more enjoyable when there's more than one person that it's just, them. you can't take away that magic. Mm-hmm. I was at a birthday party this weekend, and um, the adult turning 30 actually grabbed some of her favorite picture books yes. off the shelf and read some of them to us. It was oh, so cute. Oh, oh, my goodness. There was one called something like, When You Become You, and we're all like, oh, it's so sad. I feel like I feel like turning 30 is like returning to adolescence of, oh, my God, I know nothing. I'm turning 30 next month. Um, and I'm just like, great, everything is really hard, and I don't know anything. It feels like I'm learning to read all over again. Um, so I'm curious about what your office is like. I've heard Simon & Schuster Children's has some really adorable cutouts that people have shenanigans with. Is this true? Oh, yeah, that is true. Um, the first year that I worked at Simon & Schuster as an assistant, my cube mate and I did some pranks. Um, Jessica Sit, that's a shout-out for you. She's no longer in publishing. But one day she bought a Harry Potter cutout because another (laughs) assistant had never read Harry Potter. And so to combat our bullying, but also defy us, she listened to all of them on audiobook. So she could still say she hasn't read them, but she has listened to all of them. (laughs) But we still kind of modify and update the Harry Potter cutout. And we also, it's a standee. And also there are, a while ago, also when I had first started working there just over five years ago, we had published some Duck Dynasty books, and one of them was a take on Elf on a Shelf, but it was with Uncle Sai. And we've done <laughs> size stellations all over the office with the leftover dolls. Um, one that my boss had made is, was made when Taylor Swift came out with her Reputation album, and it's Look What You Made Me Do. Oh, no. But it's Look What Sai Made You Do, and it's just... <laughs> A work of art. It's Psy in like fishnets behind. Yeah, it's on. Yeah, yeah. there's also a Miley Cyrus one. There's yes. Also, yeah, that was one of Jess's originals. She, um, it's a crumpled piece of paper with a side doll straddling it hung from the wall. And it's Psy came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> so I think that's another reason so why I love children's publishing is we tend to let ourselves be sillier. I mean, I remember once when I was still working for David Gale, working on a Margaret Peterson Haddock's book. Um, it was about robots. And we were just sitting and talking about the viability of a robot giving birth for like Ooh. 30 minutes. And so I think those kind of conversations, though possible to happen in adult publishing, 
take on a funnier bent when it's okay cool maybe she can but is this appropriate for children to consume and just (laughs) trying to keep a pulse on what is inappropriate for kids based on slang and what it might look like Mm -hmm. (laughs) what a teacher or a librarian would think of that right exactly (laughs) exactly all the gatekeepers and just maybe we shouldn't put this image there because it kind of looks inappropriate I don't know, I feel, yeah, I feel like just in general that we, we love to brainstorm, we love to feedback, um, and we really like collaboration. So I feel like that just is like a recipe for fun and antics. And well, I mean, you worked on the Tyra Banks books. I did. That was one of my, I feel like one of your, the questions you shared with us that I was like a highlight in publishing was, um, so my... My former boss, she published Tyra Banks, and Tyra Banks came into our office. Oh, wow. And I got to edit with Tyra Banks, like just she and I, in one of our rooms. Um, oh, my gosh. And it was pretty special. <laughs> She's, and she, do you know how to walk now? Do you, can you just I like can walk smile like, like no Ooh. other? Wait, show us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she totally did, guys. Listeners, can you, see, can you hear that smize from, from where you're sitting? <laughs> she's, just, she's, she's lovely. She is just really sweet and I think that I was like nervous meeting her but she's great so tell us what you guys do when you're not working pause I knit (laughs) I read tarot cards I go to weird small indie shows I love to run um I run a lot I do a lot of races I used to do more races um the longer the better um and I drink a lot of wine Um, my husband and I love wine you need to go to Italy and drink oh, wine. No, I've only no, we oh. haven't. I know we may do it this summer. Um, so fun. Napa all the time. We do. We have a yearly trip to Napa um, in January. It's our anniversary, so um, and it's my husband's birthday, so we do uh, like a four day weekend kind of thing there. Another question for you: If like if I could do like anything else or be anywhere else, I would be in Napa, just living my best life. What would you do for work? I would ru- I would work in a bakery. Oh. Because I, I also love to bake. Bakery. <laughs> Any bakery. I love baking. It's okay if I don't, yeah, if I can't eat all the sweets. <laughs> it's so therapeutic. It's. What have you made lately? I have, so I haven't made this yet, but I really want to make a chocolate babka because I love them and I feel like it is probably not as hard as I think it is. Um, but the, just the braided design throws me. I'm usually not like a bread person. I usually do like a lot of cookies or um, loaf cakes and stuff like that because they're just easier. <laughs> I'll bring mine next time. <laughs> my dad bakes. My dad uh, bakes a lot of bread. And I asked him recently for, because I, one of the times my parents came here, they bought me all this bread making stuff because I also used to make bread with my dad and I like doing that. Um, but I asked him for his like main recipe so I can make rolls. And he was like, oh, I don't think your kitchen's big enough. <laughs> Isn't that so rude? Like and, I, a... and so, like every single time I do go to a, a New York kitchen now, I'm like, I have just as much counter space as this larger apartment. Like, how many so rolls rude? are you making? You know. Well, like... I think probably like the stock recipe probably calls for tons, and like he's concerned about like the mixing and where I would actually need the bread. I'm just kind of like, Dad, honestly, my counter counter in my tiny little studio is probably the amount of workspace you have in our kitchen at home except that you just don't use the majority of our counter space 
Also, he probably thinks Maude is going to start, like, you know, prancing. Oh, prancing. He'd, like, be so happy she actually yeah. needs the bread instead of me. Um, Maude is my cat. Also something that I cuddle with on my extracurriculars. <laughs> She's very adorable. Maude City is her Instagram handle. I love when people's pets have Instagrams. Have you followed Brave Little Toaster? Oh, yeah. Alex's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw her the other day because I was presenting titles for this German consulate kind of thing earlier this week. And she was there... And I was with another coworker, and I was—I kept asking her questions based on her three Instagrams, because she has three different Instagrams. One is a gluten-free um, eating kind of thing where it's, she reviews restaurants she's been to that are gluten-free. Another has per, is her personal, and then the third is Brave Little Toaster, which mm-hmm. is her adorable dog that recently got shaved and it looks completely different. I need to follow her. I follow so many animals on Instagram. You, you follow them. Um, Should we talk about social media in our industry for a bit? Um, I feel like Twitter's gotten very stressful and a lot of people have moved over to Instagram. Is that your impression too? I mean, Twitter has always kind of been a cluster of tons and tons of people spouting their ideas. And I think that the way that people get a lot of attention on Twitter is to cater to the type of tweets that will get a lot of likes. I mean, that's true of all social media, that you cater it to what your followers or what the type of social media um, caters to. But Twitter is really difficult now because it's just kind of a storm of a lot of stuff. I mean, I tweet when I want something to be kind of widely acknowledged. I pretty much, I when there's something important, I post on all of my social medias. Um, but I definitely rate them differently based on personal and professional. Yeah. I, I like Twitter because I think it adds value because people that didn't have a voice before now have a voice. And I really um, I think that's a benefit and we needed that. But I feel like it's gone in a direction where people have forgotten that like saying that treat others how you would like to be treated. And because you're not face-to-face with someone, you may say things that are just really unpleasant or mean, and, like, you probably wouldn't say or phrase something in such a way if you were talking to them as as in a person. So I kind of, I hope that people, I don't know, take that into consideration, and your voice will be heard, you're, it's out there, people will read it, but maybe... The, the way in which you're phrasing things shouldn't be. Do you guys look at authors that you're going to represent on Twitter or is that is that something that is on the agent side? You know, that's funny. So I guess because I primarily do so much middle grade and authors aren't as big in the social media and their social media presence on Twitter. Some of them are on Instagram, some of them have sites, but um, I feel like teen is more present there. So um that I probably would um, look if I if that author had a tri- had a track record, but yeah, I don't normally um, troll. <laughs> well, well, then secondary though, like, it, but if you did see something there that you didn't like, would that affect this working relationship? Yes, for well, me, I, yes. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the only thing that's gonna be off-putting to me is if I see accounts of just pure attacking other people. If it's really aggressive and seems incredibly difficult isn't totally the word but if i if your entire twitter is negative and complaining or 
being not nice. Um, and I know that there's a whole spectrum of what nice can mean, and I actually really hate that word. But I want to see how you're going to be able to work with me. A lot of a lot of what we look for as editors is, are you editable? And if I just see a whole lot of contention on any social media, that seems like a red flag for me. I don't care what your politics are to a certain extent. Like, if we disagree on something that isn't inherent to your project or the vision for the book or the good of the world, let's say, um, I'm fine with having differences with you, but if it's just pure contention, that's a huge red flag. And I would also say I would add combative Mm -hmm. because, I mean, an editor and author relationship is like a marriage. Um, And it's different than any and unique and different than any other type of relationship out there. So if we can't work well together and um, have a shared vision, then it's just, it's, we're not meant to be together. Yeah. And something else I want to add that um, is important too is um, we can see what you're posting. I feel like kind of adding what... Krista was talking about in terms of um, being on Twitter, like we can we can see like it's very public. Like if you're complaining about an agent, let's say if you're subtweeting about a lot of stuff, we can put the pieces together about what you're talking about. Krista actually had an experience last year that she can talk more about, but I noticed a tweet from one of her authors that I then sent to her because I was kind of like, hey, is everything okay with this project? It was a tweet based on, I believe, an article um, or a piece, Um, and it was not meant to be, it was meant to be flattering to me and, like, not meant to um, be negative in any way, but the way in which the thread unraveled, it just didn't, I thought she was upset with something. Um, So then I reached out to her and her agent, and I just went, I was like, "I, I don't know what this was in reference to, and now I'm trying to piece everything together, but is everything okay? Is we're all good? And she, they were like, oh, of course, I'm so sorry. Like this this was not the way in which um, I had meant for this to come out. So sometimes, you know, you're it's 150 characters and you're replying to different things and you're not really, um, you may not be saying exact, the exact thing that's going through your mind. Um, so everything was fine, but yeah, it's, um, and then you get worried and concerned and you don't want, and then it's like, you know, airing your laundry out to uh, the rest of the world. (laughs) So what can writers do to make themselves look like they're easy to work with? Just be you. Just be we. We don't want you to be anything else other than yourself. I, if it, if it doesn't work with us, it might, you might be a great partner for someone else. Um, But I would say that just treat others and other authors well, because you never know one day you might need their help or um, you may be, you know, in that situation. So I think, I, to add on to that, like be your quirky self. Tweet about what you're interested in. Don't just tweet about your work in progress. Don't just tweet about your own things. Make sure to be supportive. I really like when I go on someone's Twitter and I see that they're really excited about someone else's book. Like they just read this new book that came out and they're interacting with those authors and are being part of the literary uh, community. Like being a literary citizen, as <laughs> um, another agent who I'm friends with likes to say a lot. Julie, what do you think? Um, I, I want to be a literary citizen. I love that. What a great term. I can't, I can't claim. That's Monica. It's Monica Odom's phrase that she really, oh, really love likes to say in a lot of panels. And it really, it, I think it really speaks to what we're all trying to do. And to be a citizen, you have some responsibility to make sure to not tear other people down, to raise awareness of issues, but also be excited about what other people are doing and not only self-promote. Mm-hmm. 
Right, and, and and really think about the type of platform you want to stand on. You know, like 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 what are your goals for your platform, and what types of tweets represent those goals? And if you write something, I mean, I, I write snarky things all the time, <laughs> and then I just delete them. But like snarky, if it's funny, if yeah. it's completely unrelated know, to like but, other but things, but like sometimes right. But if it's snarky about like a TV right. show, or snarky about like your pet, or snarky right. about like some weird thing you saw on the street, right. is completely different than being snarky about like this one line in this book and how could they ever have published this? Right. Like, and being holier than thou. I know, it's usually like snark yeah. it's, it's, it's usually around politics. Yeah. So I'm like, blah, blah, blah. And then I just pull it down. So, but I do think it is about like writing a tweet and then, you know, taking a pause and looking at it. How does this accomplish my goals? And really being specific and deliberate about our platform. I mean, I think a know? lot of editors and people in the industry operate on a do not engage um, mentality to really think on, you may completely disagree with this person, but you aren't just representing yourself. You're representing being an editor. In my case, I'm representing Simon and Schuster, even on a more specific scale, I'm representing Simon and Schuster books for young readers. And I'm representing everyone I work with. And is it worth it? Like is sending this tweet in a, of an opinion that I have that might be not necessarily explosive, but is aligning myself with something that I want to tweet worth my reputation within the context of all of these other facets? I would also add a word of advice for authors. Um, we, as you know, we can see your tweets. So if you need to write your book or you have something on deadline with us and you are tweeting all day long, like I'm talking about like every 15 minutes, we see that. <laughs> and we're going to probably email you and yell at you. <laughs> or just be very concerned. Yeah. Or just be very concerned. So what's something you wish writers knew about things on our side of the desk? We actually did a full talk on this. Um, like top 10 things you got on your editor's good side or something, top 10 things you yeah. could do. And honestly, it really depends project per project. I think at that point, like I just wanted transparency. <laughs> so right now, I, I would say that my, um, the number one thing I would like to share is that we are one person. We are one person and we work on so many books and we are doing our best. Um, and we will, we try to get back to you in as like fast, as fast as we can. Um, and we are rooting for you. We bought your book and we love it. And we've read it probably five times because we love it so much and we are championing it every step of the way, but we are, we're one person and I wish I had superpowers. I do. I wish I could do everything, but I can't sadly. I think my... Well, and I think my advice is to walk away from your computer after getting an edit letter and come back to it the next day. Like read it, absorb it, think about things, and then come back to it when you are back to a like clear frame of mind to really really understand what you what questions and concerns you have about your project. Um I think similar to social media, it's really easy to have an immediate response and to send that email. But that isn't helping anyone other than us getting tons of emails with various responses that we don't know what is real. And it helps a lot of, I mean, I have to sit on email sometimes so that I don't just gut respond. Because I'm an Aries, I am a fire sign, and I get very mad very quickly. <laughs> so it's really good for me, yeah, so it's really good for me to, sometimes I wait a day and I think, with something as huge and demanding as an edit letter, it could really help 
just to wait until your brain clears and you can come up with a plan and have a list of questions and then shoot off an email, maybe responding if it's a shorter list of concerns, shooting off an email that we can address or scheduling a phone call where we can talk things through. I mean, similar to what Chris said that. is, I, um... we are humans, we have feelings, we put are putting a lot of ourselves in these projects too. We want you to succeed and we want to figure out how and it's always a discussion. Like I've had a lot of authors be like, I really don't like this note, but I was thinking that what you're really responding to is this, so what if this changes? Mm -hmm. I think that would be more appropriate to the story. I'm like, oh, I didn't even think of that. That solves all of my issues, perfect. Instead of me directing what you need to do with your project. I feel like sometimes I so present a possible change, and what I really mean is something about this element isn't working for me, mm -hmm. but there are a ton of possible solutions. This is just what my brain came up with. Yeah. So many of my writing friends talk about this and you know like the impact of getting the editorial letter and one piece of advice that I heard from someone once was I get it and then I go get my my fingernails painted black <laughs> I like it and I you know and I stare at that and I realize how fiery I am or whatever and then they respond but you know like like having having like something you do as a pause that, that stops that instant reaction because usually in retrospect, those people are usually right. Right. You know, so it is a partnership. When someone tells you that something, when someone tells you that something isn't working and they tell you exactly what to do, they're probably wrong. Um, <laughs> but if someone tells you something isn't working um, and you reanalyze like that scene or that chapter, there's something that just doesn't feel right and there's something that needs to be worked, worked on. So I find it so frustrating when I know something isn't right but I don't know what it is. Yeah, and I think that's like the best part. It's like the challenges, but a challenge, but one of the best parts of our job mm -hmm. is that we kind of, you can brainstorm and go back and forth and then figure out what the solution is. And I feel like many times like authors, you know, you they'll think you'll tell them something, but it'll spark something else and it will fix the problem. But neither of you have thought of an exact fix. Yeah, and I feel like I have, due to being at a conference, I've started calling it being in bad question land. Like, what at what point am I just asking tons of questions because something is really confusing to me? And it doesn't mean, I'm sure it really infuriates my authors because I will actually, in my edit, just ask all of those questions as they pop up. So just to have an awareness of, this is the point in which I'm wondering what's going to happen next or what is the deal with this? And I'm so distracted because all I can think about are these 20 questions that I have, so how can we get away at some point before this point? How do we curtail all of these bad questions and get to the good questions, which are, oh my goodness, what's gonna happen? Oh my God, I can't wait to turn the next page. Like, I hope this person doesn't die. I need to read faster to figure out if that person does. And sometimes also I will start with knowing one thing. Like I was editing a picture book last week and I was like, okay, I really like this. What if you made all of these elements more into characters? So she did that. And then from there I was like, okay, now that they're characters, I think you should do this other thing. Um, you know, give them this added element of the plot. And she did that. And I'm like, okay, now I can see. So sometimes you go step and then you can see what you need. The next step, you see what you need. And I could see how that could have been really frustrating that I didn't know all the answers right away, but mm -hmm. it was almost like it was coming into focus for me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that happens a lot. And that's the kind of relationship that I'm I'm so lucky to have with that author mm -hmm. and to have that relationship it can't be just anybody sure yeah you have to really trust one another and mm -hmm. that's yeah that we know as authors you've worked on your manuscript for maybe years um, and then we come in and we're like all right 
10 pages later, these are all the things that need to be changed. Um, and you've worked with on it with your agent. So it's, it is a really long process. So like sit back and buckle in. <laughs> it's going to be super fun, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a bumpy ride. It's just, a novel is so many words. Like I, I usually start off my first edit letter, especially to a debut being like, congratulations on writing so many words. Let's make them perfect. Ooh. Um, maybe not so verbatim like all my authors if they're listening are like I've never gotten that from her but I, <laughs> I I like that sentiment of just you put so many words down it's good enough that I want to read it again to work on it and no matter what stage you are whether you have got an agent that's amazing someone wants to read your words so many times similar to like an editor and then the whole point is that you get people out that you don't know that don't have a vested interest in you also wanting to read your words enough to finish a book it's crazy and they, everyone has to read your book like four or five times. When to work on it, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not just love it to read it once. It's love it so much that you will love it every time. Yeah, when I first started working at Simon & Schuster, my boss at the time had rejected a book in, within the first week. And um, I was actually friendly with the author and still am. And I saw him at a party and I was like, oh my God, um, I, my first week on the job, your project was on staff. and. He um, was like, yeah, David didn't like it, um, but it was, I'm like, yeah, I'm really sorry. I would have loved to work with you. And he was like, no, it's fine. He emailed me actually and said, sorry, I just didn't want to read it 10 times. (laughs) (laughs) But it's super true. And he was like, I totally get it. That was the best way to have phrased it in such a blunt way. But I want someone to want to read my book 10 times. And so sometimes when people reject your manuscript, it isn't necessarily that it's bad or doesn't mean anything, but it didn't spark enough joy, <laughs> as it were, to read 10, oh. ten times. Julie, do you hate that word, the term? The spark joy. It's very in vogue, Julie. I, I, it, I, oh, I know. That was my, that was my, that, I'm in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. See, my boss left that on my desk and I know it was a hint. Oh and my, God. I, my <laughs> boss came into my office today to fix a ceiling tile that was about to fall onto me, and he tripped over my computer cord no. and just went, "You should clean this." <laughs> and I went, "Okay, whatever." <laughs> but see, I don't like throwing stuff out ever, just mm. on principle, and I don't like rooms that are like too minimal. It just doesn't work for oh, me. Man, it's not really. my aesthetic. So if you had superhero power what would it be so I had a huge fear when I was younger that people could read my minds (laughs) like would stop thinking about dirty things so that people wouldn't read my mind like I'd be in third grade what kind of possible dirty thing could I think of when I was in third grade but I was so I was so concerned people would just be knowing that I was like looking at a boy or like not paying attention to the board so I think just to counteract my fear I want to know what everyone is thinking Ooh. I, I like that premise in rom-coms. I, I see there's another one coming out. I'm so excited because it's about what guys think and how awful they are, I assume. Who knows? Well, what about the, isn't it like just a rip off, rip off, off of the... Mel Gibson. Yeah, Mel Gibson yeah. one. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so I would want to be able to change the weather. Ooh. Um, because I think mm. it's also, I have an, I, I'm terrified of lightning. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's bad. Um, and so I think that that is a kind of where this desire, but yeah, I would love to be able to change the weather. 
I like how a lot of people choose a superpower based off of what they're afraid of. I think that's really yeah. interesting. I mean, for both of us. Yeah. Right? See? Real people. Real fears. Yeah. Turn a weakness into strength. Yeah, but my fear is like, I hope people don't know what I'm thinking about. <laughs> Which, like, what does that mean? Really funny, though, is I am surprised at this point how quickly people get my brand. But like it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be so quick. It shouldn't be so surprising because I tweet. I am very active on social media. Like I am wry. I wear winged black eyeliner. Like people know what I'm thinking about. It's probably weird and whatever. And you have a nose ring and sparkly nail and polish. I, sp- I forget about my nose ring all the time. Like of course people know what like I'm into. But it's it's funny that relationship between being afraid of what people are thinking and how quickly. People now are like, oh, you probably will like this. And they're often very accurate. But I'm not weirded out about that. It's more of like, I'm glad you can read me. But yeah, I mean, I feel like um, to make it more relevant to editorial is that we do, to a certain extent, we are brands. Like we have and develop a list that it behooves me for agents to know that I would be really into this type of thing that might be weird and quirky because I have a nose ring and winged eyeliner that I love so much and a voice that sounds like I've seen things and done things (laughs) because that's also kind of what I'm into but also every reader has a brand every single person Mm -hmm. listening to this podcast has gone into a bookstore and been like nope not that one yeah and I feel like it's almost as important if not more so to say nope to understand what you are really actually into and what you want to read 10 times I know when Liz and I meet with agents um, when we're together or do any kind of lunch or something. We always we. It's really easy to be able to define our tastes. Um, I'm wholesome. I love books that make me cry. <laughs> it's basically, it's basically like Chris is wholesome. Liz is not. <laughs> I want that. Yeah, that tearjerker coming of age. Um, yeah, I want to hug my characters. Okay, so what's on your MSWL these days? Hmm. I just watched Sex Education on... So good. Oh, my God. It's so good. good. I would love a story that feels like that Um, in YA. um, I always say, but I haven't really found a a middle-grade manuscript that is like the Broad City Girls, but in middle middle school. Yeah, I'm always looking for something kind of subversive, something interesting with structure, something super... In your face is not, I need to find a better way of saying in your face, because that's not really what I'm meaning. It's more like daring. It's more daring to say and talk about the things that people have always told you not to talk about, but we need that. So like bold, vivid, brave. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, thanks. Do it. <laughs> I like it. Hmm, I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I love sibling stories. I can never get enough of them, so bring it on. Um, and I feel like I've been looking for a book about um, kids whose hobbies turn into something more, um, that they either turn into like a small business or just something on the side. Because I feel like kids have these entrepreneurial skills and are they want to run their own business and they want to do things that are out of the box and not the, the like sit in their office corporate kind of job. Um, so to use those talents and to learn from them. So you guys... Speaking of not being big in corporate, if you had Google-level funding and the ability and encouragement to spend 20% of your time making something awesome, what would you make? So I've actually, so I am like an armchair entrepreneur. I don't want to do any of the work, but I like thinking about cool things. Um, 
one, I want it, I'm diabetic and you can publish this, it's fine. Um, and I wanted to make like a cool carrying case for all of the dumb stuff I have to carry around all the time. Um, but I'm lazy and don't want to do that. And then I had recently an idea <laughs> for, um, so basically like I had an idea for an app or a service that was kind of like care packages for people mourning a loss. So obviously a lot of people, a problem with mourning is that everyone pays attention to you like up to the funeral and a little after, but the mourning process goes on and the worst part of losing someone is like six months after when no one is around. This has gotten a little dark, I'm sorry. But I had an idea that if I wanted funding, if I had it, I would want to have some sort of card subscription service that if you knew someone facing a loss, you can kind of subscribe and in advance, tailor what you want your 10 cards to be or what kind of gifts you wanted to include. And it would either be like cards would be sent to you so you can all package them together and you'd send them back and we would send them out in a certain amount of space between them so that the person that you love, you it would be very millennial and minimal effort. <laughs> minimal effort being there for someone or it could be gift cards that like, at like the tying it to some sort of therapy therapist or like some sort of morning study where like six months in you may be feeling this way which might be a little more idealized version of morning but maybe if you if at this point you're missing like a certain type of food let's say like that's when it, we would recommend that you would send them like a $50 gift card if you wanted to to go out to the favorite restaurant or to order food in or to not have to do things <laughs> That's a really a lovely. And I also have an idea. I also had the idea for Krista and I to do start doing a podcast, which I think we're going to try to pursue. But I, but like I, that, these are kind of things that I, again, I had a huge fear of death when I was younger, and it's this is third number thirty is a return to adolescence, and I've started that again, and I know a few people who have experienced a lot of loss, and I lost someone a year and a half ago, um, and I it was, it's fine. I mean, it's not whatever. It's life and death. Um, but I was thinking about that a lot because we were always trying to help those people and checking in and it, it's, you don't immediately think about it when it's not in your face, mm -hmm. right? But it's still something that like someone is thinking about all the time. And I think a lot of, and this, this like, not obsession, but so I, this is this something I think about a lot and a, a lot of my books actually reflect this kind of thought like there's a book that's being published this season called The Remarkable Inventions of Walter Mortensen which I absolutely adore it's one of my favorite books I've ever worked on it's so moving but it's moving in the way I'm not in the same I'm not in the same boat as Krista in terms of liking books that make me cry but it's those books that sneak up on me and make me absolutely lose my sh like this book at the heart of it is really about how do you honor a life lived that you miss? And, oh my God, I'm gonna start crying. But, it, but really, the actual plot of it is a kid who wants to become an inventor and so gets a Willy Wonka-esque invitation to, men, to be an apprentice. And he goes on this epic um, road trip with his crush who has a different interest in going to this spot. And it's multi-generational, so you see why his parents left exactly where he's going to. And it's cinematic and beautiful, but what really got me into wanting to read this a million times was that last sentiment of how do you honor someone? I just talked for 20 minutes. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it's, a big, it's a big question. Yeah. It's a really big question. And it's the sort of thing where it's like you have to kind of put it out of your mind a little bit to like go on oh with your life. Oh my God, to live life because it ends? Can you imagine? Ugh, I'm going to start having a breakdown. This, like, I, 
I like lose my breath when it like comes to me in the subway, right? Like this is the thing I can't, this is like <laughs> the inner workings of Liz's mind is just death, death, death. It's coming, it's coming. Oh look, so there's something shiny. <laughs> Editors are people too. <laughs> Well, I loved oh, it. I think it's a really good it. idea. I thought it was Thank really you. nice. That's yeah. A good idea. I feel like mine is like on the total opposite end of the spectrum. I was like running through all the things that like I do. Oh, tell per us. Brands. So yeah, per brands. But so beca- because I, I love running and I love doing lots of races, I would love to set up um, so many races. They don't have like protein shakes. Like you're supposed to have like, you know, you should have a protein within 20 minutes of when you finish running if you can. Um, uh, to help refill your muscles, but there's never any, there's always like little bars or stuff like that. So I would love to have like a really cute truck, a protein truck, so that people can get protein shakes at the end of every race. And it's just like a small thing. It's not, it doesn't matter like where the race is. It could like easily, you know, come on and off any type of property. Um, so people can get refueled and not have to worry about going home and. Um, I love that. I love that too. <laughs> so maybe one day these these thoughts will come to fruition. So like a food truck for runners. Yes. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. That's not this beer and like. Right. <laughs> it's a really like wait wait. There's snack. beer at the end of runs. Yeah. Sometimes there's yeah. beer. Sometimes there's donuts. There's always like you know. Sometimes there's like festivals where they'll have. Oh yeah. wow. I don't do sports. You guys are blowing me away. I was like, I can bring it to lacrosse tournaments. And I can bring it to right. track meets. I, it's like, I, that's, you, you and just have a summer job shake, I'm sorry. Right? I'm stealing that too. Like a good shake. <laughs> it's or genius. If you could put it in some sort of like, um, you know the, those chocolate milks or like those little milks at Starbucks that like don't need to be refrigerated? It could be something like that or like something you can shake that breaks into it so it's very portable. Yeah. All right. So what's your number one tip for writers? Read your stuff out loud. I think that that's really helpful to... Feel out the flow of the book, what you actually want to say, and just pacing. And if you read it out, to, I have a, I have an author who reads all of his books. He's very prolific. He writes all the time. He has tons of series that I work on, and he reads all of his books to his kids. I mean, not all of us are privileged with kids of the demographic that you're writing for. Um, but I also know other people who read their entire book out to like their friends or record it and then listen to it just to make sure that the flow feels right. You, when you yourself are nodding off and you don't care about something anymore, it really helps you figure out if these are words you want to keep on your page. Because if you don't want to say them out loud, why would you want someone reading them? And I, th- I think if you are, you've written something and you really don't know what's wrong and maybe um, editors have rejected it or agents aren't querying you back, Um, I would say find a good writing mentor. They're really helpful Um, and they will maybe be able to see something and help you out. Um, And they have already had hopefully books under their belt um, and they may be able to guide you in a better direction. So where can we find you guys online? I am someone who doesn't like Facebook friending people I don't personally know. So you can find me on Instagram at Z-U-H-B-E-T-H, Zabeth, and then on Twitter at Liz underscore adventures. And I'm in the same, um, in a similar boat. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter. I am K-A-V underscore Tepidino. Um, I did take out my husband's name for real life purposes. So um, I'm Vitola at work, but you'll find me online. Under Tepidino. <laughs> Can you spell that? Yes, it's uh, T as in Tom, E P E D I N O. 
And you can meet with both of them. As you can hear, their tastes are a little bit different mm -hmm. at manuscriptacademy.com. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. Thanks. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com. <laughs>